and who God is and God's nature is to offer mercy and grace to the sinning worlds so they're not consumed by His wrath, so that they might be saved. And nowhere was His mercy demonstrated more clearly and greatly than at the cross, where God poured out His wrath. We're, we're, wrath that should have been poured out on us, but He poured it out on His own Son, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. I don't know if y'all have been counting when we started this. I said three, maybe four. We're going to end up with six. But, you know, thank you for your patience. I've been enjoying the series of Habakkuk. I think it speaks very clearly to where we are about a faith shining in the darkness, as, as we see Habakkuk come and complain to God about what is going on. And as I was preparing this, because we're about to see Habakkuk's response to God's response, you may remember he's very upset with God. He, he, he's mad at what he sees going on. He is surrounded by darkness outside of the country and inside as well. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, I think what Habakkuk is really mad about is what we read about in Proverbs chapter 6. You don't have to turn there this morning, but we're going to use it as a, a, uh, a passage to get us to Habakkuk chapter 3. But Proverbs chapter 6, when you get down to verse 16, these verses that follow are usually called the seven deadly sins, right? And if I said that, you would have known what I was talking about. It says, these are the six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, when you read what Habakkuk says to God and the complaints that he has to God, they're engaged in all of those. When you read that chapter of Proverbs, those verses in, in Proverbs as well, you, you can look around and see, okay, we could lodge that same complaint. God, we're surrounded in the world in a time where all we see really running rampant is the seven deadly sins. We're not seeing great faithfulness, not even in, in Habakkuk's case, the people who are God's holy people. Because remember, the, the, what's happening is he's going to use the wicked Chaldeans to punish his people. So even Habakkuk is saying, your people who you've called are engaged in all of this. They're shedding innocent blood. They're lying. They're cheating. They're selling their... God, if there is a, a moral code, a moral law that you have given, your people have decided to break every last one of them. Now, you can imagine if that is happening and you're looking around as a believer that it's going to cause your faith to waver just a little bit. Cause your faith to go, all right, God, what... what 
are you doing? How do we get through this when it seems like we are surrounded by the darkness? How, how do we want our, how, how is our faith going to shine into the darkness? Right? Because so far, and if you notice the title of the series was Faith That Shines in the Darkness, so far, the two times we've heard Habakkuk speak, would any of you say that Habakkuk right now, his faith is really shining? His faith is wavering. He, he's perched himself up on the wall. He's saying, God, you've got to answer to me because I, I am, I'm wavering in my faith because of your plan. It doesn't make sense. But when we come to chapter 3, we start seeing his faith to shine. And as you read chapter 3, and we're not going to get through all of chapter 3 today. We'll get to the last part. It kind of starts off like a little nightlight in a bedroom. But by the time you get to the end of chapter 3, it ends up looking like a lighthouse shining out into the darkness. So what we read this morning, what we're going to be encouraged by is, is how our faith can grow even when there are dark times around us, even when we don't understand exactly what is going on. So Habakkuk says this, chapter 3, verse 1, reading down to verse 15. A prayer of Habakkuk, according to the Shigonion, I think is how you pronounce it, okay? O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy, Mount, Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His, his were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of the Midian tribe did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters." I want to stop right there this morning. We'll get to the next three verses next week. But what I want you to see this morning is four ways that our faith can grow even in times of darkness. All right. And the first one is this, worship. Worshiping God helps us grow in our faith. And when you look at verse 1, it, it tells us that uh, Habakkuk has come and he has written something according to the Shigonion. I'm trying, that's a hard word to pronounce. And you go, all right, what, what does that mean? What, what is that word? Because it's, it's important enough that that word has been recorded for us. But here's the thing, we don't really know entirely what it means. When you look at Psalm 7, we, we find out that it is used in 
saying, all right, use it, set it to this music. So it's obviously it's some kind of a musical score. So what Habakkuk has done is he has come to God and he is writing what you can call a prayer, what you can call a psalm, what you can call a a psalm of praise. He has taken time now to worship God. He's singing to God. What he has been able to do now is, is hearing God's plan. He has now gone and assumed a position of submission to the authority of God's Word. Right? Chapter 1 and chapter 2, when he's talking, he didn't want to submit. You, you saw that. God, your plan stinks. I think you ought to reevaluate it. He's not ready. But by the time we get to chapter 3, after a time of prayer, after a time of, of seeking God and God seek, uh, speaking to him, He goes, all right, I'm going to now turn my attention to a time of worship. And when you come and when you write a hymn or or you write a song or you write a a poem, it, it doesn't just happen, right? You don't just accidentally write a song. Right? I, I don't think any songwriters, I mean, I know they talk about, oh, it just kind of came to me. But even then, in the moment where it came to them, they turned and they sat down and they, they wrote it. There is an intentionality here in Habakkuk where he intentionally wants to worship the Lord. And he says, Lord, I, I worship you because I have heard the report of you. I've heard the report of you. Now, He's a prophet, right? Does that make a lot of sense to you? Wouldn't he have already heard about God if he had heard the report of God? The the best way that I can explain it is this. I think some of y'all have been to the Grand Canyon. Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody? A few of you. The best way I can explain it is like this. It is one thing to read about the Grand Canyon, to know about the Grand Canyon, and I think I'm correct when I say it's quite a different thing to actually see the Grand Canyon. Right? It's, it's, it's a very different phenomenon. That's what Habakkuk is trying to convey. Yes, he knows about God. Yes, he knows what is going on. But now, it's not that he just knows, but he sees and he understands. The vision that God gave him, he now sees, and it has changed him. When you come face to face with God and His plan, and, and you move from a just a, a head knowledge to a, a understanding of what God is doing, it drives us to worship. So now, what is Habakkuk doing? Right? Instead, right at the beginning, God, I'm challenging your character based on who you are and what you have revealed to us. I'm challenging you on that. And now Habakkuk says, God, I know who you are. And I don't want to challenge you on who you are. I want to worship you now. And I stand in awe of what you are doing. He says, your work, O Lord, do do I fear. This is a a reverential fear. He is confronted with with what God is about to do. He's learned that Israel is going to be destroyed. And even though he was told the righteous shall live by faith, it's still frightening. Right? I mean, can you imagine? God comes to us and says, Hey, America, as you know, it ends in three months, but don't worry, the righteous live by faith. 
We have a great promise beyond America's survival, but at the same time, would that not be a little bit of a little frightening? So Habakkuk is, is a little afraid. He, he wants to live, right? I heard somebody say the other day, you know, as a believer, I'm not afraid of death, but I got a healthy fear of it. I think that's, I think that's pretty that's a good word. I'm not afraid of death, but I have a healthy fear of it as well. I don't step out in front of trucks and like, you know, God, if it's not my time, right? He wants to live. There's nothing wrong with that. Remember, he said, I want to live so I can make your name known. The longer I live, the more I can brag about you, God. He says, but I, I heard your plan, and at first I was fearful, and I'm still a little, little unsure, but in his fear, it is actually an indicator that his faith is growing because he's ready to accept God's plan. I don't, I don't know how else to put this. There are times when God will come into your life and show you his plan for you, and sometimes it's just fearful. <laughs> Sometimes it takes you a minute or two, a day or a week or so to get over the fear, even if in that moment when you say, we've all prayed, God, wherever you lead, I'll go. And then God says, here, go. And you're like, mm-hmm. Okay, hold on. Wait a minute. That's, that's a little bit of fear creeping in. But when you move past that to the point where you can worship God for who He is and for His plan, even though there is a little fear involved, it is showing that your faith is growing. And so Habakkuk comes and, and records this, this psalm for us to demonstrate that his, his faith is growing. His faith is, is increasing. Just like he was to record the vision for everybody to see for all generations, this is recorded for us to see as well. Why? Because it tells us if God's prophet, in the midst of being told that the nation that he is to prophesy to is about to be destroyed and carried out into slavery and into captivity, if the prophet can look at God and say, I worship you even in this time where, where of darkness in my nation and a little bit of fear in your plan, that even if Habakkuk can do that, then we today can do that as well. That we can still come and worship we don't need to let outside influences detract us or keep us from worshiping God. Our worship of God is not conditional on what happens around us. And so here's Habakkuk going, I, I, I'm, I've come to worship. I've come to praise you. I've heard the report of you. I understand now who you are. And when we do that, one of the things worship should do, even in times of darkness, is move you forward in your faith to help you get out of that darkness. That's what we see in Habakkuk. Secondly, he calls our attention to past victories. So remembering past victories helps us grow in our faith. You see that in verses 3 through 7. And there's a very subtle shift that happens when you're reading, and I hope I've instilled this in you. When you are reading Scripture, pay attention to the way God is addressed. Verse 1, He is Lord. Verse 2, or excuse me, verse 3, He is God. What, what, what does that tell us? 
Well, all of a sudden, is, is he going from the covenantal name of, of the Lord in, in, in verse 2, and he goes back to it again at the end of in verse 8 where it shifts again. Why all of a sudden is he going back to God? Why is he going to, to Elohim instead of Yahweh? Well, because the word Elohim directs us to God's power. It directs us to His strength. It, it, it points us back to Genesis 1 where it says, and, and God, right, it says the God, God speaks, and by the power of His speaking, He speaks creation into existence. So when Habakkuk looks back, he wants to look back at the all-powerful God of history who has dealt with His people, who has delivered His people, who has been stronger than the nations around them. He wants to look back and remember God's power because it is through God's power that Israel has had victories. It is through God's power that you have had victory in your life. And so Habakkuk starts to look back. And if you're the prophet and you're looking back in Israel's history, do you think there might be one specific event that you might go back to? They always go back to Exodus. They always go back to the Exodus. And that's exactly what Habakkuk does, where he talks about God's coming from Teman and, and the Mount of Paran. That's the southern part of, of Israel down near Mount Sinai. And so what Habakkuk is saying, hey, remember the story of the Exodus? Remember the story of how God led His people out of slavery and into life, into the promised land? Remember that? Because when you read the story of, of Exodus from beginning to end, from the time that, that God speaks to Moses at the burning bush, all the way through the leaving of the, the plagues, the leaving, the, the Red Sea, the journey into the promised land some 40 years later, when you read that entire story, it is a demonstration of God's ultimate power from beginning to end. There, there is not an element of creation that God does not exercise dominion and sovereignty over in that story. The greatest nation, the most powerful nation at the time, didn't stand the chance. I mean, he defeated them with water. All the, all the, the plagues were to denounce the, the, the idols and the false gods of the Egyptians. He leads them in the night, the, the pillar of fire and the cloud by day. He provides food for them in the middle of the desert. He provides water for them from bitter springs and leads them into the land. All of Exodus shows and demonstrates His power. And Habakkuk says, you, in times of darkness, what you got to do is, is, is you got to go back and you got to think about the Exodus. you got to remember that God comes to Moses and says, I have not forgotten my people. What's he say? I have heard their cries. Habakkuk and God's people are getting ready to think that God has forgotten them. They're about to go in exile again. Remember, they've been in the land the entire time since Exodus. They haven't left the land, but they're about to. 
And when they get pulled, taken into slavery and they're down in Babylon, they're going to cry out to the Lord again. You know what they're going to cry? Have you forgotten us? But looking back at Exodus reminds them that no, God is, is faithful. That God is not going to forget you. Even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of this plan that doesn't make sense, that nobody wants, God is not going to forget them. He won't abandon His people. You want your faith to grow in those dark times and in and, and, and times where your faith is, is weak. And I haven't said this, but let me just say it right now. Everybody has those. Okay? It, it, no one doesn't have those moments. If you have one, don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel ashamed. Everybody has one. What is set before us in those times is how do we get out of it? Because we don't want to stay there. So in those times when it's dark, you, you want to know what to do. Look back at where God has given you victory after victory after victory. Isaiah 12, 5 says, I will sing the praises to the Lord for He has done gloriously. Go back and read the Psalms that talk about His God's victories throughout history. And then go back and look at your life where the darkness was surrounding you. And you had victory. I bet right now if I asked you, if I said, hey, take a minute and think of that time, you could think of at least one and probably many more. God gives us those. He gives us the challenges, the trials that come into our life so that we can grow in our faith, so that we can build character, so that we can be more like Him. So in those moments of darkness, look back where God delivered you from a financial disaster that was right around the corner look back where in time of despair where something was happening in your life that was difficult god delivered you from it and allow that to propel you forward to move in your faith and not allow the darkness of what is happening to surround you but then Habakkuk says, as we look back, then we get to look forward. Because looking forward to the future promises helps us grow in our faith as well. When you get to verse 8, there's another subtle difference as well, not just the name change. But if you look in verses 3 through 7, it's all in third person. God came, His splendor, His brightness before Him. You get to verse 8 and it changes to you was your wrath against the rivers. Where when you rode on the horses, when you did this, it all becomes you, 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 you. And he also, in those verses, moves back to Lord, covenant faithful Lord who will give victory to His people. He said, look, God has done powerful things in the past. We've seen His power on display. And now... God, who is also our covenantal Lord, is going to give us victories in the future. There's some future promises that the Lord, the covenantal God, who established a covenant with us where He says we're going to be His people and He's going to be our God, that He's going to bring to us. He says, so you want to, to grow in your faith when it's dark. Look, look forward to what is to come. 
And as you read these verses, it, it reads a lot like Revelation, does it not? Now, none of it's quoted in Revelation, but you can see it. You can read the cosmic battle that is to come, where everything's infected, the sun, the moon, the stars, the wires, the mountains, everything. God marches across the earth. He tramples the nations. He, he crushes the leader of the wicked, pierces his head. When you get down to verse 13, it says, You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. There is some conversation whether the word thigh can also be translated as tail. It would be interesting, because if it says from tail to neck, who does that make you think of? It makes you think of Satan, who is described in Revelation as the great serpent, the great dragon. But even in this, if that would be the case, he, he's crushed. He, he, is, he is absolutely devastated, and God has complete and total victory. He saves His people. Look at what God is going to do in the future. Go to Revelation chapter 20. It's nice that we know how it ends. I know Revelation is a difficult book to study, but can you imagine how different our faith would be if we didn't have Revelation? We wouldn't know how it ends, but we do. We win. God wins. And when God wins, His people wins. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire of sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's a picture of complete and total victory. And when you keep reading in, in Revelation 20, you get down to Revelation 21, it talks about the new heaven and the new earth. You see the promise that's going to be revealed to us in the wake of God's victory that is to come. And so that we can look forward to the salvation that God has in store for us because it says that in verse 13, that He goes out for the salvation of His people. Exodus he saved his people. In the future, battle of Revelation is to save his people. He has assured us that he is going to save us. That one of these days, we won't be surrounded by the seven deadly sins. One of these days, we won't be surrounded by the darkness. Why? Because it tells us that when we are in heaven, in our eternal home, that there is no night. For Jesus is the light, and there's light 24 hours a day if we have 24-hour days in heaven. That's our victory. That's the promise that we have to look forward to. In times of darkness, go read the end of the story. Read about all the promises. Read all the descriptions of, of, of where we are going. Read the, the, what God says where He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will dwell with you. Man, that, that should bring you out of the darkness. Because we have a great promise to look forward to. 
But then lastly, prayer. Prayer helps us grow in our faith. You know that. But I want to look at three specific ways that Habakkuk prays very quickly. When you look in chapter 2, he says, or excuse me, verse 2, he says, Lord, I need you to revive, I need you to reveal, and I need you to remember. And while both of these can be taken corporately or individually, what we need to remember is that we need to pray them for ourselves before we pray them for others. And the first thing he says to God is, God, as I'm praying, he goes, I, I need you to revive me. He's, he's, he's praying for revival. All right? You've heard calls for revival in America for years, and it's something that, that we need. We need to God's people to be revived. We need people to be confronted with the holiness of God, to be overwhelmed by, by that. But before we pray for a revival in our community, state, nation, we've got to pray for us. God, re- revive us. Because if we're in that moment where our faith is kind of wavering and we're perched on the wall waiting with our, you know, with our arms crossed waiting for God, we, we, need, we need a revival in our hearts before we need a revival in our community. Because the way the revival in the community starts is when there's a revival in the hearts of believers. He says, God, re- revive me. Revive me so that I can see your holiness. Revive me so that I see your glory. Revive me so that you are glorified in all areas of my life. Lord, revive me. Then he says, reveal it, God. Reveal it. He prays for God to reveal himself and make make his power known, make his design plan known, which, which he has done. It took Habakkuk a few minutes to get to the part where the understanding of God's plan moves him forward in his faith, but he finally does. And now he says, Lord, reveal it not just to me, but to every other people. Think about how different it is in your life when you pray, God, reveal your plan to me, and and you're, you're confused, you don't know what the next step is. And you come to him and say, God, just I need you to reveal this to me. I need you to, to lead me because we have all those great promises that God will lead us, right? And you come and, and, and at one moment you're just, you, you don't know which way to go. You don't know what to do. God, reveal it to me. And, and you maybe spend a few minutes, might spend a day, might be a week praying for God to reveal it. And all of a sudden he, he, he does. He speaks back to you. He reveals your plan to you. And then what do you do? You go forward. And usually you go forward telling other people, hey, you know what? God revealed this. God showed me what to do. God is leading me to where He wants me to go. And so we pray, God, reveal your plan. You're in in the middle of darkness. Pray that God reveal your plan to me. God's doing something. But sometimes in the darkness it's hard to see. But then finally he, He prays this. He says, remember. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk specifically prays for mercy because as he prays for God to act, God's actions will bring judgment. They absolutely will. And without mercy, God's wrath and judgment will completely consume and destroy everyone and everything. 
Without the mercy, there is no opportunity for sinners to receive God's grace. Without that mercy, there, there is no hope. So Habakkuk prays for mercy. Not, not that he's trying to persuade God to be merciful because God is mercy. He's just saying, God, who you are, act according to who you are. And who God is and God's nature is to offer mercy and grace to the sinning worlds so they're not consumed by His wrath, so that they might be saved. And nowhere was His mercy demonstrated more clearly and greatly than at the cross, where God poured out His wrath. Where, where, wrath that should have been poured out on us, but He poured it out on His own Son, Jesus Christ. All right, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He says to God, let, let this cup... And the cup right there stands for the cup of God's wrath. Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. As you will. He was about to drink the cup of wrath that was filled or had been filled by all our sins. That cup that Jesus praised in the Garden of Gethsemane that passed from him was, was filled with your sins. It was, it was, it was filled because of, of, of my sins. Every time we lied or stole or cheated or broke God's moral code, more wrath was poured into the cup. And yet, He drinks that cup for us. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus drinks the cup of wrath so that we can drink from the cup of mercy. Jesus took on our sins, satisfied them to God so that, so that we could live. As the great hymn in Christ alone puts it, says, Till on that cross that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Because Jesus drunk the cup of wrath, because God was satisfied with His sacrifice, we can live. And the fact that we are alive is undeniable proof of God's mercy towards us. When you're in a place of darkness, reflect on God's mercy that you have received because of the cross of Christ. Because He took on our sin so that we could live. If we weren't Baptists, that might make us shout and holler. but it will bring us out of the darkness to remember what our life so that we can live cost our Savior. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. 
Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.